Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that impactfashionnyc.com is open for all of your modest dressing needs. Impact Fashion is the line that I started because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. It is a line of modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 24 that covers everything from your lunch out with friends to your work meeting to your regular shops afternoon all the way up to those really fancy weddings. I hope that you get a chance to check it out. Again, the website is impactfashionnyc.com and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ricky Esquitz, and on today's show, I sit down with an OT turned store owner about her she shares the problems with asking high school girls to commit to a job, what it was like to leave her steady job after buying a struggling business, and her entrepreneurial learning curve. Plus, we discuss the never-ending struggle that is figuring out how a job fits into family life. Shauna Broadman and I connected through a mutual friend, so it really didn't surprise me when we immediately clicked. I've always been drawn to women who make career changes at any point, but specifically once they've committed to a path for a substantial length of time. It's a big leap to switch, and I'm glad I got to sit down with Shauna to discuss her journey. So I was the type of kid who nowadays would have been sent for major OT, um, but my parents thought it would be a better idea to give piano lessons to try to calm me down. So let's just say I really don't play the piano very well. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Can you explain, see, like... I know that you were an OT for, for quite some time. Um, and I, yes, I, I, I want to kind of, OT for seven years. Okay. So what made you decide to be that? Like, what made you decide to go into that? What, like, how were you drawn to the field? What was the process of that decision? And also, can you explain what OT is? Because I know that it's a thing and I know that it's a thing that a lot of people do. And like, I know what physical therapy is. I've had physical therapy in my life and I know what speech therapy is. I've had speech therapy in my life. But OT, I've never had, and I never really understood what it was. Like, I know that, like, some people take it for, like, if they hold a pencil the wrong way, but, like, what is that even Sure, okay, mean? so, sure. So, okay, let's back up and discuss what an occupational therapist is, which stands, which what the OT stands for, um, and then I'll tell you why I got into it. So, occupational therapy really stand, um, really is a lot of different Um, roles in different settings so like you said about the pencil in the school setting they will the OT will be helping children do what they need to do basically in general an occupational therapist help people live their daily life in the most functional way so in in a school setting their requirements are to do their schoolwork so they will be holding a pencil they will be sitting in their desk all day they will be um, going in the, you know, by recess in the jungle gym, they will be doing their homework. They will be communicating with friends. So in the school setting, they're going to be helping them do everything they have to do in the school. Um, an occupational therapist in a hospital in an inpatient rehab will be helping the patient get back to their daily life in a functional, you know, way. So their activities of daily living, their hygiene, um, you know, getting in and out of bed, they'll work together with a physical therapist, getting dressed, brushing their teeth, being able to do laundry if that's what they need to go home from the hospital and be able to do. Um, somebody who, you know, let's say had a stroke, 
Now they need to learn how to get dressed by themselves. They need to learn how to make breakfast by themselves. They need to learn how to possibly drive a car. So an occupational therapist is really going to help everybody do what they need to do in their daily life functionally. So that's going to look different wherever that person is. Does that make sense? That does make sense. But my question then becomes like, what is the, like then if you know how to hold a pencil, does that mean that you can teach anyone how to hold a pencil? Like what is the educational part of it that you need to know to become an occupational therapist if you're teaching people how to if you're not teaching but really like assisting people in how to do these everyday tasks wouldn't your only qualification need to be that like you can do those everyday tasks so you would think however the reason is why can they not hold a pencil let's say holding a pencil is coming from you know, hand, intrinsic hand muscle weakness, right? So you can try to get them to hold that pencil for as long as you can. But if they are, you know, if their hand muscles are weak and it's making it difficult for them to hold the pencil or their hand hurts after 30 seconds because their hand muscles are too weak or their entire body is too weak or they don't have core strength to hold themselves up to hold their arm up to hold the pencil then yes you can teach them how to hold a pencil but it's only going to last about 10 seconds because all of a sudden they're back flopping all over their desk again because they don't have enough core strength to sit up straight for 20 minutes and take notes or they don't have enough intrinsic hand muscles to hold a pencil for 20 minutes to take notes or they possibly just need an adaptation they they need you know they just need like a pencil grip and that's all they really need and then their hand doesn't have to hurt for as long you know what I mean right so it's basically instead of just saying I mean like if see if I was showing someone how to hold a pencil didn't know how to hold a pencil I'd be like listen you put it between these fingers and you hold it and if there was something that was meaning if if the problem was only like a lack of information I don't know how to hold a pencil then great that would work but most of the time it sounds like you're saying the problem is much more complex than that much more um you know there's an underlying issue why they can't do whatever the thing is so if you're able to identify the underlying issue and then address that properly then they can you can fix whatever needs fixing i don't like using the word fix with people but it's the best that i can think of right now right it's Uh, not fixed it's it's right it's help them basically what occupational therapists would do which you wouldn't be able to do as somebody who doesn't have a master's in ot um would be able to do what we call the evaluation and evaluate why they can't do what they need to be doing and then yes the result is going to be teaching them how to hold the pencil but the entire process is why you need the ot Okay, that is actually fascinating. So why were you drawn to this field? What made you decide to go into it? Okay, so a few things. Number one, I absolutely love helping people. I am a giver. I am a helper. So I love helping people. I love anything in the medical field. And I wanted something that I can do relatively quickly with schooling. So that that was all of the reasons. And then we kind of just eliminated many other things like I actually have a very big math brain I love math so I thought I would be an amazing accountant I tried it for about 30 seconds I took one class I sat down for my first test and I said this is not going to work for me so I very quickly changed from accounting to occupational therapy Um, but it's a very interesting topic that I do want to talk on because I do think and this is my humble opinion and this could be only it was my school or my city or my education, or I didn't do the legwork for this. But I strongly believe that high school girls do not have enough help choosing a career. 
I think that it could happen to anyone to change careers, but I very strongly think that there are many, 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 many options out there that people can find fulfilling and we're only exposed to a very limited number of them. So if I'm gonna be choosing between doctor, physical therapy, occupational therapy, special ed, speech therapy, accounting, or in my days, there was probably one more like graphic design. Those were my options. That was what I was exposed to. That, that was, you know, these. this is like, you're gonna choose one of them, so which one are you gonna choose? So process of elimination brought me to OT. I don't think it was the right field for me. And I don't think it's the right field for many, many people that I know that go into their field and, you know, leave it pretty quickly because I just don't feel like there's exposure to the 9,000 other options you can do with or without education, with or without formal, I should say formal degree, college, whatever you want to say. You know, there are so many options out there that everybody can be exposed to and everybody can learn about and really, you know, love what they do as opposed to just choosing from you know what, what your high school showed you as like the 10 options you're going to choose from why do you think that is why do you think we have such like i agree with you that there is like a narrow like you said the options are narrowed um it's not really like we're, we're just not presented with like the wide variety and i don't know if this is like a growing up orthodox thing which i know that you did all um you know uh, the same that i did um I don't I don't think that it's specific to our community just because I I've had this conversation with a lot of other people and people from all communities have said this. Um, but I'm I'm curious what your experience was in terms of like like you said, you 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 did a process of elimination. You were choosing from 10 things and you landed it at OT. Do you think that had you been given more options as a high school student, you would have chosen something different? I definitely do think so. Um, I can't tell you the why. The why I don't know the answer to. I can definitely tell you that it would have been different. I when I in one of my prerequisites I had to do in for OT, I had to take engineering. I loved engineering. Absolutely loved it. It was called um it was one of the physics classes that I had to take and I absolutely loved it. Had I been given an opportunity to explore that more, I for sure would have chosen something in that field that would have connected my um, my love for giving, love for creating, my math brain, my my logical brain. Um, but I was already, you know, halfway down the path to OT. So I just didn't change at that point. But in high school, had we been like shown options like engineering, um, you know, management, business, things like that, I think I definitely would have chosen something different. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I definitely hear that. It's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot recently um happens to be that through the work that i do now i've gotten to know a lot of doctors um a ton of doctors and i don't think that i would have i don't i like i want to say very confidently that like i would not have gone to medical school but i don't really know because like especially now um particularly by getting to know um dr amy Barron, who um i interviewed she's the founder of i was supposed to have a baby and she was a pediatrician before um she founded that and i was like wow bdm pediatrician would probably be awesome like that would probably be super cool and maybe I would have gone for it but also I probably wouldn't have survived the pre-med um like classes and things like that like I would have taken one organic chem and been like nope not happening but who knows yeah. you know you know you don't really know what what goes on in those you know uh what's it the the marvel multiverse you know the right the other, right for sure the other versions of your life um for sure so you, you know, you find yourself kind of like already halfway to, to OT and then you start, you know, 
do you say practicing as an OT, being an OT? What's the right phraseology? Right. right. Okay. So you, you go through schooling, you do your field work, you take the boards, um, and then you get your degree. And then funny enough, I actually moved to Israel at that point. So it was supposed to be a short-term thing. So I chose not to work for the first half a year. And then I realized, okay, we're actually you're going to be staying in Israel longer than I expected. So now I need to figure out the process of working as an OT in Israel, which was really pretty simple. You just have to take the boards again. Um, it was Google translated their their tests. So I was like, I'm, I don't really care if I pass this. It's so unprofessional. <laughs> but I ended up passing it. And then I worked as an OT in a ch- uh, school for children with special needs, um, which I initially loved because I also, funny enough, worked for the friendship circle for seven years of my life and absolutely love children with special needs. My best friend has cerebral palsy. My daughter's actually named for her. So I loved to work in a school for children with special needs. And then I realized very quickly, um, I don't love working as an OT for children with special needs. What's that distinction? Okay. What's, I what's, love, what, because that, that's yeah. a very fine point that you're putting on that there. I love being able to do whatever they want to do, whatever the children want to do. I love being able to go with the flow. As an OT, you're working on goals. You have to set specific standards. You have to be working on specific um, criteria every, you know, every session. You have to be able to be working towards the goal in order for it to be considered a skilled clinical session I guess you should say so if the child wants to be just swinging on a swing and jumping in a ball pit but my goals for this child to be able to meet their expectations or try to at least show that we're working towards their goals is a lot more fine motor stuff or visual perception stuff and it doesn't fit with what they want to do I realized well I just want to be able to have fun with them and do what they want to do as a skilled OT that I'm hired as I can't just do that I have to try to work towards the goals. And obviously, as a pediatric OT, your job is to connect the two. Your job is to really do what they want to do with working with their goals. But it it, it was very challenging for me. I'm sure you basically became the bad guy. I, I did a little bit, um, especially with the level of special needs that my children I was working with had very... Um, not they didn't want to do what I wanted to do (laughs) (laughs) so what'd you do what what were your next steps okay so I worked I I ended up staying there for three years um I loved the children like I said I had no problem with my workplace it was just it was a difficult um transition for me to have to you know do what I do what I needed to get done anyway I ended up staying there for three years at the same time, I was, I was working as a telehealth occupational therapist with American students from an American company at night. So I was really just doing pediatric OT, pediatric OT, pediatric OT. And funny enough, I don't love pediatric OT. I, when I went into occupational therapy, my love, my passion in schooling was with adults, with patients who had a stroke. Um, in inpatient rehab was my favorite. I loved working much more on the physical um, aspect of it and trying to really help people, um, I should say, really help adults. I never really wanted to do peds. um, And that's where I just found myself because I lived in Israel. So I did that for five years. Then when I moved back to America, that was the job that I could find in schools again. So I was doing that again for another year. And that's really when I just had to 
call it quits. Um, I realized that I was going every day to work and not enjoying it. And I just didn't feel like it was fair to the students I was working with. Um, I never got an opportunity to work with adults because my husband leaves for work at 7 a.m. And to be at the hospital, you need to be at the hospital at 7 a.m. And thank God I have five children. So that was never an option. It just, as much as I want to still work with adults, um, and I, I have a passion for stroke um, education and stroke rehabilitation, as much as I really would love to do that technically as an OT, it's just never presented itself as an opportunity. Um, so I just had, uh, I had to leave pediatric occupational therapy. I just didn't feel like it was fair to the, the children I was working with. So what point were you in your career when you made that decision? I was already an OT for seven years. Um, like I said, five years in Israel and two years in America. And it just hit me one day where I was working for a nonprofit, very, very part-time, just kind of on a volunteer basis. I was putting together a massive event for them. And this was January of the school year that I was working in a public school. And I just realized that I'm sitting there, my head is on this event that I'm working on, loved putting together this event, and I'm just counting down the minutes in the school. I walk in at, you know, I walked in at eight and I left at two, and the whole time I was just like looking at my watch, like when's the session gonna be over? When's my school day gonna be over? When am I gonna finish my paperwork? When am I gonna be finished with all the reporting and all the meetings I have to do? And it, I realized after two, three days of this, I'm like, this is it, you know, I it's just not fair anymore. I'm really counting down the minutes. It's not, I'm not giving them my, you know, I'm not giving them what I need to give them. So. That's pretty much when I realized I'm going to finish the school year because it wasn't fair to the, you know, the school that I was working for to just pull out mid-year. But I realized I really can't do this again. That must have been really difficult. I mean, you're talking about something that you, you know, a job that you, a, 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 something that you practiced for seven years after all the schooling also that goes into becoming an OT. Was it so, was it so clear cut to you? Was there like a process? Did you need to... Like, was it, was it that simple to just say, I'm not going to be unhappy anymore? Or was it, was there more to it? So that's a very good question. It was extremely clear cut to me that I was no longer going to be working with pediatrics and I was no longer going to be working in the schools. That was non-negotiable. That was not an option. What took a lot more um, working through was that I'm no longer going to be working as an OT. And I still say for the moment, because once you have your master's in occupational therapy, you can just keep up your, your license and your registration. Um, and you can always go back into it. So it's something that I definitely have in my pocket. But what I, what took a lot of working through was that for now, I'm not working as an OT. I went to school for so long. I spent so much money on my education. I missed out on many events, you know, being in college. I missed out on a lot, a lot during those years. You really work really hard. I studied like a dog for the boards, you know, and I should say, I studied, I, I really studied a lot for the boards. I had a newborn at the time. Like I really, really, really put a lot into this. Um, and I put a lot of money into it and it did take a lot of working through mentally that I'm not going to be working as an OT. What was that? Like when you say that it took a lot of working through mentally, like what did that look like for you? Okay. I'll explain to you every day <laughs> in my mind. Um, I'm sure I'm not going to do this. This is not for me. I need to find something else. And then 
10 minutes later, what are my parents going to say? What is everyone else going to say? What are all my friends going to say? Oh my gosh, everyone's going to make so much fun of me because at the time of me going to OT, I was like going for OT and no one else was. So all of those friends that are going to be like, I told you so. Okay, pause. 10 minutes later. Okay, but this is not for me. I can't do it. I have to find something else. It's totally fine. A lot of people switch careers. 10 minutes later. Oh my gosh, what is everyone going to think of me? Shoot, everyone's going to say, I told you so. I hate having to face people and tell them I'm not working as an OT anymore. You know, that's that's pretty much what I mean. <laughs> Did you, like, could like could you at least tell them, okay, listen, I'm not going to be an OT, but I'm going to, you know, do something else. You know, I'm going to plan events. I'm going to, you know, work with this charity. Or did you just decide I'm not going to be an OT? Well, at the time I was um, in the middle of trying to buy my business that I am the owner of right now. So I, I wasn't doing anything for the nonprofit anymore. And I wasn't definitely not going to be a party planner, but um, I was kind of telling them, yeah, I'm not going to be an OT anymore. I'm actually just going to try my luck at buying a business that I have absolutely no experience in. You know what I yeah, mean? That's a good plan. I, yeah, solid. Good job. A plus, no risk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what made it even harder was like, yeah, okay. So you're going to take something that you went to school for, got your master's for, you're going to throw that out the window to dump a whole bunch of money into something that you have no idea what you're doing. Like I said, this sounds solid, like a good (laughs) plan. Talk me through that. If you know, were you already so you own Set with Style in Hollywood, Florida? Um, and I, I'd love if you could tell everyone what that is. And also, like, at what point did you decide, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take this over? Were you still working as an OT? Okay, so that's a very good question. Set with Style, yes, I own Set with Style in Hollywood, Florida. We sell paper goods, tablecloths, gifting, kitchenware. Um, lots of different hostess gifts. We started with registries, but that's not how it started. So I can't, I'm from Detroit originally. There was an amazing store there. Every time I walked into the store, I kind of had this feeling like I want to do this one day. Throughout high school, I would walk in and be like, this is cool. I kind of want to own a business and I kind of want it to look like this. Um, and it was just always niggling at the back of my head. And an opportunity came up at the end of the school year that I was working as an OT Somebody local in Hollywood owned a paper goods store, also slash Judaica, and he put it up for sale. So I kind of came to this point where I was like, hey, I'm not going back as an OT. This job came up, this opportunity to buy this business. I really have always wanted to do this. It came flashing to the front of my head again. You know, this is what I, this is what I always thought was cool. Um, let me see if we can make this work. So I started negotiations with the business owner. It fell flat for a couple months, came back up. Um, I actually had a, a, a very good family friend walk me through it, make sure it was a good investment. He helped me kind of like work out the numbers. You know, what the business owner was asking was not realistic. So we had to bring it down. So it kind of just fell into my lap. And I was like, I'm just going to go for this. I'm just going to buy this business. My husband was fully behind me. Um, which I'm very lucky about. And we're just like, I have no experience in business, but I love it. And I feel like I can learn it. And it was a small enough, relatively small enough investment that I was like, we can try this. Um, So I bought the business, which was, like I said, half paper goods, half Judaica. And I kind of shifted out the Judaica items, 
made it all paper goods, elegant disposables. Um, and from there, we expanded, expanded, expanded different categories that people were asking for. Because like we said, I'm in Hollywood, Florida. I'm not in New York. I'm not in the East Coast. There's not a store like this on Ebner. Um, Really in Florida, I should say South Florida and in Florida in general, Set With Style is the only store that has this all in one. Yes, you can get a couple of stuff at the grocery store. You know, yes, a couple of the, you know, Judaica stores or gifting stores in the area have some of our items um, or people sell from their homes, but there is no other store in Florida that you can walk into a brick and mortar storefront, look around and have all of your tableware in one place, all of your table costs in one place. And it kind of just expanded from there. We have, you know, we have the elegant disposables, but then we are like, well, now we need all the gorgeous machine washable tablecloths. And now people want to come in and they want to be able to give gifts, you know, for um, hostess gifts, teachers gifts, parents gifts, kit, you know, gifting like that. So we added in a lot of gifting and then we added in more gifting. And then people started saying, well, okay, you have all the high end stuff. What about all of the lower end stuff? I need a place to just walk in and get a knife and I need a peeler and I need, you know, I need, what do you mean? I need basic everyday plastics and I need my containers and all that stuff. So we kind of just, you know, branched out, branched out, branched out, expanded to where we are now. What was the learning curve like? Cause you bought this business with no, you, you said yourself, you had no business experience. And I'm always fascinated to hear what the entrepreneurial learning curve is like, um, because mine was rough. And um, I'm curious what your experience was there. Yeah, rough, rough I guess, would be a very nice word. <laughs> <laughs> rough seems like a little generous, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, rough's you, a little generous. You share your worst startup story, and then I'll share mine. <laughs> Um, I was threatened by a customer that they were going to call the police. For what? Because, okay, like I said, we sell tablecloths and hers was sewn incorrectly. So I obviously ruined her holiday on purpose by sewing her tablecloth not straight. Yep. So she was going to call the police on me because I was not offering to fully refund her tablecloth that she bought six weeks prior and only decided to come back and return it then. Wow. That's good. That's that was, that's mm -hmm. that's fun. I when I first 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 started online when I was making my first like batch of um what are they called? samples. Um at the time I was starting up a wholesale only business and I there was someone who I had bought fabric from a lot with my custom clients and I didn't realize this but they said they were like, "Oh, I have like a little factory above my fabric shop like I'll make your samples." And they were so bad. They were so bad. My mom still has them in a closet in her basement because she's oh like, gosh. one day you are going to be so successful and you're going to, and I want to be able to hold these and be like, look where you started. They were so bad. I can't even tell. They were, I mean, like the waist was like, it was like an empire waist when it was not supposed to be. And it was like supposed to have all of this like hand embroidery applique work, which obviously they couldn't do for the price that they were giving me. So they like glued stuff on. They were so so bad. Oh my gosh. It was oh my gosh. So, it yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Now I can't walk into that fabric. The real tragedy is I can't walk into that fabric store now. Um, and they that have is... good stuff. So that's, that's the real tragedy there. So yeah, yeah you, that is a bummer. You have this, um, so, so you buy this business and you, you know, you, you figure out your way through it. How long ago was that? Okay. So we bought our business in August of 2020. So the funny thing was that actually dude, the crazy dude. part was, 
Let's that's stick not, that that's in. Not buying a retail store. <laughs> that's not the time to buy in a retail store. And it's definitely not the time to buy a retail store that's focused on hosting parties. No one was hosting parties. I didn't even it's think of that. all about the parties and the events and the paper goods that you need to host all of your guests that you're not hosting. <laughs> oh my God. Why did you do that? And we still thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Wow. Um, I guess we just had a lot of faith in humanity that we were going to overcome this COVID thing and the world wasn't going to explode like we thought it was at the time. And, you know, life was going to at some point move on. I guess that's kind of why we, you know, why we still thought it was a good idea. So how did you get through those first, I mean, for sure that first year when nobody was hosting anything? Right. So how did we get through it? Um, we (laughs) that's a good question so i think the initial excitement for people that were moving to florida now if you if you know the general like layout of florida a lot of people are moving down from new york the east coast in general and i think a lot of it was initial excitement that we actually have stuff local that they can come and pick up and get so covid or not covid holidays happened right so we definitely did a lot of paper goods for the holidays. Um, at that point already, people, I, I believe were, if I remember correctly, were having friends over a lot of times they were, you know, doing it outside, um, right. you know, or having very small gatherings. But I do find that people that needed to make an event made it a little bit nicer because it was a little smaller, if that makes any sense. So right. we were able to kind of jump on then that that bandwagon and say, hey, if you're going to be, you know, hosting only 20 people instead of 100 people, why don't you spend, a, not spend a little bit more, but make it a little fancier, a little nicer. And I, I guess that's kind of how our, our word got out, um, you know, that like, okay, you're going to be doing disposables, spend a little more than you thought or make it a little nicer than you thought because it's going to be a smaller event. Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting um, way to think about it. You know, if you would have normally, listen, you're going to spend what you're going to spend on 100 people. If you were going to spend that amount anyways, if you spend that on 20 people, you can get nicer stuff. And that's exactly where you guys come in. Right, exactly. And then, um, so we definitely did that. I also feel like we, I, at the beginning, it was just literally a one-man band. I was there all day. I was, I did every single thing from the beginning of this business. I built the website. I researched the products. I ordered the products. I labeled them, price them, put them on the shelf. I was a sales lady and the, you know, and the cashier. So I think people really, really um, liked our personal ask, you know, our personal touch uh, come in and we put together your table for you. We made tablescapes for you. Um, if you came in and said, I'm having 20 people and I have no idea what to do, but this is the tablecloth that I already got, you know, from the rental, we were able to put everything together. So I think that's what really helped us was our personal touch and people really enjoyed coming in. We, t- I, you know, I talked to all my customers, my customers became my friends. So people really kind of looked at it like they're coming in to get the service and they're coming in to get the help as opposed to just ordering stuff online. Um, so I think that really helped us at the beginning also. Um, and like I said, the holidays happened anyway, you know, so you, people need stuff like holidays going to happen. Um, you know, like Hanukkah is going to happen. You, you need decor, whether or not you're having a big party, you want to make it fun in your house. You know, right. you're going to need that menorah. Um, 
you know, also like, you know, Christmas is going to happen. Like, yes, it definitely was a smaller event, but it's going to happen. So people needed stuff. And I was kind of lucky that I bought when I did because I didn't know what it could have looked like. Now that I were, you know, I should say post COVID now I'm like looking back like, wow, we did not sell a lot that first year, but it's not like I had been in business for three years. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, this year is like a killer year for me. It was my first year. So every sale was an excitement for me. Every sale was, was new and different and like, oh my gosh, okay. It was a buildup as opposed to, I feel like it wasn't a letdown because I didn't know what else to expect or to know. That's an interesting way to look at it. Also, especially just considering the fact that it was your first year and if you're pivoting this existing business, so it's not like you're taking over everything that the previous owner had, it was going to be a smaller year regardless. So it's kind of nice to stack those two things together. True. Right. Very true. Yeah. You mentioned that you were in the store all the time and that you were doing everything yourself. And girl, I feel you. I know exactly what that looks like (laughs) and what that feels like. You also, at the time, I believe, had four children. So August, 2020, I was eight months pregnant with my fourth. Oh, this is good timing. This is good. This is good. <laughs> Stack that on. With, Stack that with, on. Okay. So you buy a business. And, oh, what did you do for maternity leave? Did you take maternity okay, leave? So that's, that's a very good question. My, as people ask me all the time, you know, how was your maternity leave? Um, and I say it was about five hours. Oh God. Yeah, it was about five hours. I was texting customers, answering questions, talking to everybody and anybody that needed to talk to me about five hours after I had a baby. Um, Lucky for me, it was on a holiday, so I didn't have to go into the store. Um, Unlucky for me, I actually got COVID during birth. So I was completely out of commission for two weeks. I actually had it really, really, really bad because I was close birth. Um, so I did, wasn't able to go into the store, but it was kind of over a holiday. So less people were shopping because the holiday had already started. Um, but for example, this time when I just had my fifth kid, um, she's, you know, a couple months old now. And I think that I'm at the point that I do I have employees, but I had a baby at 30 in the morning, 11 30 in the morning, I was on the phone with my workers in my hospital bed. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's, I'm not going to say it's not stressful. You know, I'm still, we're two and a half years into this business, but I'm still at a point that, okay, yes, I have employees and I have sales girls and they're amazing. And I have cashiers, but that's their only job. I don't have a manager. I don't have anybody helping me on the back end other than obviously my, you know, my, my QuickBooks, my bookkeeper, my accountant, but I'm still two and a half years in pretty much solely responsible for 75% of my business. Um, See, this is what a lot of people I'm, don't understand. Cause you say still two years in that's super typical. That's really typical to, you know, two and a half years into a business. Most people are still doing a majority of the work by themselves. I, you know, that's, I'm happy that you're telling me that because I really didn't know. I don't know. Like, I didn't know when at one point I'm supposed to be feeling overwhelmed that I'm still 75% in charge of everything. Um, my, my, we actually have the funniest story ever. Last year, April, we were going to Detroit 
from Florida with my whole family. Um, and we're, bo we're boarding the plane and I'm on the phone with my worker who's in the store, like, no, no, not those chargers, the other chargers. And my husband's like, honey, we need the boarding passes. They're on your phone. Like you're on your phone and we need to scan the boarding passes. And it's just like, that's his, that's kind of his like benchmark story when he's like, okay, soon you're gonna be able to hire a manager and you're not going to be like telling your worker about chargers boarding the plane. And, and I hope so. I do hope so. Um, and I'm happy that you're telling me that because I still feel, you know, it, it's, I'm still really very much in charge of most of the, you know, aspects of my business, like I said, and it's a lot, it's really a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, this is like this whole notion or myth, I think, or just, I don't even know what you want to call it about like having it all and being able to do all the things all at once. Nothing is more clear to me than that lie. Like nothing is more clear to me that it is just simply not possible. Um, I actually, when I was pregnant, I gave birth last winter um, and uh, for the first time. And when okay. I was pregnant, my business was kind of at the point where I had a couple of decisions to make that could either kind of keep things status quo or scale things up in, in, a, in a few different areas. And I was okay. kind of looking at these decisions and thinking, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? Is now the right time? Is, you know, do, how would I feel if I did it? How would I feel if I didn't do it? And I basically just figured to myself, I was like, listen, with the way that the business runs now, I, this is a beast that I know, right? I have a good groove going. I have a good system going. I know how things operate. Like I, I know what to expect. Right. I'm about to give birth in a couple months and I have no idea what this is going to look like. Like, it, you yeah. know, it was my first time giving birth. I just had no idea. Well, I was like, I don't know how I presume that this will change my life and schedule and availability and, um, right, you know, right. and everything about everything. Um, but I don't really know. So I, I made the decision then that I was going to, um, you know, that I was good, that I was going to just keep the business things kind of status quo and, Pro and and you know and and let my and let my life take me where it did um and then it was also super important to me to take a maternity leave but also bear in mind I've I mean I opened my business in 2016 I'm several years ahead of you um right and I and again because I just had no idea what to expect I was like I'm going to arrange things so that I can take maternity leave and I and I did and you know I relied on people around me and um made a couple hires and things like temporary hires and things like that to make that happen um right but then the notion of like going back to work and just being able to just like dive back in at the same level that you were working before when you also have a family life to consider, it's just not doable. Like there literally is just not enough energy in the universe to make yeah, all of these yeah. things happen at a, at a full level. And like, I even feel so awkward even bringing this up or even talking about it because I feel I like to talk about things that I generally know what I'm talking about and I feel like this is an area <laughs> that like I will never have figured out that like it's just or certainly not now um I'm curious what your experience has been with that with like trying to make all of these different aspects of your life work okay so that's you know I think that's a very loaded question because like you said it's gonna look different at different stages of your life and it's gonna look different for every single person um involved and it's going to look different you know kind of what you're I guess I should say 
what your priorities are at the time. So um, one thing that I've learned a lot is just to pick your battles. And that's really been a very big thing for me. Um, you know, sometimes I feel guilty with myself for having that extra day of cleaning help. And every few weeks I think to myself, you know, it's not really in the budget right now. We should really take out that extra day. And then I think, you know what? It's either that or me falling apart. So it's going to have to make its way into the budget because it's just not an option right now. Um, you know, I do not need to be washing my dishes or cleaning my bathrooms or doing my floors when I need to take care of my kids. And if I don't, you know, it's just not enough time in the day. So I think it's a lot of um, balancing. I've done a lot of like, I guess I should say emotional work and mental work. I'm just keeping calm and letting things slide. You know, if I wouldn't, if I in the past have been a very, very organized person and I've had, you know, two weeks of dinners planned out, you know, for a very consistent amount of time. And I found, find myself in a time where I have less help or my husband's not around as much or one kid needs an extra therapy temporarily. So I have a couple hours of my week cut out for that. And now I no longer have the time. It's okay if my kids eat reheated pizza. It's okay if tonight when my kids come home from school and say, what's for dinner? I say cereal and milk and they may throw a temper tantrum. And in the past I would get upset with them and say, why are you throwing a temper tantrum? But now it's just like, I just keep my mouth closed and they can say whatever they want. And they can say, we're not eating breakfast for dinner. And I can say, that's fine. You're, you can choose not to eat it, but that's what I have for dinner. So it's a lot of being confident with what you're able to do as long as it falls within a functional realm. And I think cereal and milk definitely falls within, you know, food fit for consumption. Um, as long as your kids are, you know, or your family or your husband or yourself, or as long as you are getting dressed when you leave the house, you know, and um, taking care of basic necessities and your mortgage or rent is getting paid on time, right? As long as you're falling within things that absolutely must get done, everything else is kind of negotiable. And if for a temporary amount of time, you need to lay low in certain areas, not go to as many events as you would like to, not participate in the community as much as you want to, um, you know, or kind of I live in Florida. We host a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of people that like to come, you know, and I have never been good at saying no. I have never been good at saying this just doesn't work for me, but I found myself within the last couple months just saying, I'm sorry, that's not a good weekend for me. If you would like to book your ticket to Florida, here are the dates that work for me, you know, and I think we really have to um, just kind of like be more forgiving you know, when we feel like, oh my gosh, I have so many responsibilities and I have so many things that I have to do and so many people relying on me, be it in a business sense or in, you know, a personal sense. We kind of just have to be a little bit more forgiving, I think, to ourselves. Um, and like I said, pick your battles, pick the areas you're just going to kind of lay low in right now. Um, you know, I'll tell, you know, I can tell you a very personal example I was pregnant during the summer, right? I just had my, my child a few months ago. Um, and it was a very, very, very difficult pregnancy for me. Can't explain why. 
well, I can't explain why, but I'm going to choose not to. <laughs> um, and I really, the whole summer was not a very functional person in terms of doing extras. I did everything that had to get done, but it was not an extras kind of summer. And I do feel like a lot of areas in my business um, got hurt because of that. I did not do any expansion in the summer. Like you were saying about expanding or just kind of keeping a status quo. I really, as people like to put it, I was really the entire summer on cruise control. Whatever happened, happened. Nothing else happened. And towards the end of the summer, I kind of started feeling really bad about it. Like, shoot, this was an opportunity. Three months have been gone. Three months are lost. So much should have happened this summer. Um, I'll explain, like, my business moved from a 700 square foot store to a 5,000 square foot store. That's now it's huge. The overhead is intense. The space is intense. And because I grew so fast, I kind of have to grow so fast. You know, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean, you, um, you took on and, this, this extra space, which is a huge expense, which means that you need to, you know, up your sales to, um, to match that. Exactly. Up my sales, up my customer base, make more customers happy, you know, bring in more, you know, more items and categories that different customers want to see so I can kind of expand my customer base. Um, and this summer should have been the time to be doing that, but I didn't. It didn't happen. So many things didn't happen. For example, I don't even have the proper sign on my store because in Hollywood, Florida, you need a permit for every little thing. And I didn't get to getting that permit every time i tried i got overwhelmed it's a very intense annoying process so like things that should have happened this whole summer didn't happen and i kind of you know when when you come to september october there is no, no more like okay let's look at other things it's literally just like get us through the holidays yep. so the expansion right needs to happen during your slow times but if the expansion doesn't happen or the research for the expansion i should say doesn't happen during your slow times forget it you're out till january and even then it's like not really enough time to ever do anything right you probably right. know what i mean i know i am like i cannot nod enough to exactly what you're saying <laughs> like you you have all these grand ideas and you want to make them happen and sometimes you do sometimes you don't sometimes life gets in the way sometimes they're outside the realm of what is possible for any of a million different reasons and then there are just certain times of the year when you are literally on a roller coaster that you do not control and you cannot get off until the teenager at the controls lets you out like there's just no other way to do it and and if you miss the boat you miss the boat and you just got to wait till the next one but that's that's the thing that has always helped me I heard a great quote once. It was, opportunities are like buses. There's always another one coming. And that has really oh, helped, good. like, calm me a little bit. Because, yes, you missed that slow summer. But guess what? We are, you know, we're you, once you get through the holidays and you get through, you know, that whole, like, yantif and then Hanukkah time and everything, then you'll be in that, you know, that January lull. It's a beautiful time. And you can, you know, work on again until, you know, until you're in the Pesach crazy and, you know, keep on keeping on like that. Right. So the interesting, right. I, I love that quote. And it's actually something I've been thinking about, just obviously not in that quote form, but like every time I miss opportunity to market myself and every time I miss opportunity to gain exposure and I think, oh my gosh, what about all of those people that would have learned about my amazing store at this pop-up I didn't go to, or at this marketing campaign that I didn't run or at this seasonal sale that I chose to miss this year, right? And every time I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then I think, okay, 
there will be another there will be another chance like it has to be that there will be another chance it can't be that this is a one and done and now i'm, do- I'm doomed right? right um and it, funny thing is when people you know people like us that are in businesses that are that need a little bit of research by the time everybody else is buying their stuff we are probably at least one season later in our minds than in our buying or possibly one and a half to two seasons later right like I'm selling Hanukkah stuff now, but my buying and my research is already per and Pesach. Right. So it's not something that you can't just wake up today and be like, oh, let me place my Hanukkah orders when it's already Hanukkah. Let me place my Pesach orders because everybody else needs to be able to do that. You know, so I've kind of learned to like already focus on the future, which kind of helps with some of the missed opportunities. Like, okay, but there will be another summer. There will be another two months of lull, you know. Right. Exactly. There, there will always be another bus coming. I can't believe that our time has run out, but it has. So, and this was such a wonderful, it's always good to talk, to talk with other business owners who get it. <laughs> Thank true. you for being this a part a, of my little therapy. For the week. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about you and about set with style, where can they go? You have beautiful stuff. Everyone should definitely check it out. I appreciate it. Thank you. So we have a website, setwithstyle.com. We actually ship all over America. We deliver all over Florida. So if you are located out of Florida and want something delivered within Florida, you definitely have that option as well. We have a storefront in Hollywood. Um, It's on the corner of Sterling and 46. If you're from the area and you know what it is, Um, but you can really find everything about us on our website, setwithstyle.com, on our Instagram at setwithstyle underscore FL. Um, by our email, you know, email us, call us. We are always there to help people. That's fantastic. Can you tell me what it means to you to make an impact? That is a very good question. I love making an impact on my family. I love showing my family that I'm doing what it takes, or I'm at least attempting to do what it takes to provide for them and to help. I love making an impact on the woman business world. Um, I think that we are very empowered and we have a lot that we can do as long as we put our mind to it. I love making an impact on the world in general, providing people, you know, when I hear things like you made my party, you made my event, um, you really helped me have a less stressful day. You really helped me be able to gift to whatever person I needed to with a really nice, you know, gift. Um, I love that. I love being able to make an impact like that. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Shauna. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Shauna, her links are in the show notes. On the last episode, I spoke with Marian Pascal Cohn about weight and body shaming. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion. The clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunote as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nisad Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rick Yitzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.